to Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort. And today we're excited to bring you our third anniversary show. It's hard to believe three years ago, we kicked off this program, Transit Unplugged, as an opportunity for me to interview uh, my fellow CEOs in the transit industry. You know, I spent most of my career in public transport and government. And uh, when I left as CEO of the MTA in Baltimore and went to work for Trapeze, uh, they asked me, would you like to start a podcast? And I was like, yeah, sure. That'd be great. I did radio for 16 years part-time during my career and podcasting really is the new radio. And they asked, uh, well, what would you want to do the podcast about? And I said, I know exactly what I'd want to do. I'd want to interview my fellow CEOs about what they're doing. Let them tell their own story, kind of like, you know, unplugged with no real agenda. That's how we came up with a title. And, uh, and there was nothing else like it. As uh, Joe Calloway said, don't strive to be a leader in your category, create a different category and be the only one in. We've had a great three-year run and looking forward to what the future looks like. As you know, we started the show with me interviewing um, transportation CEOs here in North America, and that grew to be global. We've been to the United Kingdom, Australia, Europe. We won APTA's uh, AdWheel Award for our category of electronic communications. We've now since started doing live events. We've done live CEO roundtables at places like the UITP Expo and APTA's Expo at CUDA, the Canadian Urban Transportation Authority, and online, just having online webinars with CEOs from around the country and the world. Um, we've started quarterly innovation shows. We focus on a theme such as, you know, autonomous vehicles was our first one. And we've done all kinds of topics since then. Uh, we also have started an additional program as part of the Transit Unplugged family of podcasts, which is Comfort's Corner. I kicked this off in March of this year when we wanted to talk about COVID-19 and the recovery and what folks were doing. Started as a daily show and then weekly, and now we've uh, backed off to every other week, which include news headlines from the public transportation industry, a newsmaker interview with someone who may not be a CEO, but who is making news in the industry, and then a look at the future of public transportation. It's an exciting addition to the family, and it also allows us to expand our portfolio to talk to folks who maybe don't head up a public transit agency, but have important roles to play. Next, I'm excited that we're going to Africa and the Middle East. Uh, that's right, we've, I've already conducted a bunch of these interviews and more to come. We'll be airing them in December and January, a look at what's happening in other parts of the world. I've learned a lot over the last few years. It's been fun you know, I did these interviews in person um, where I would travel to the public transportation agency headquarters, usually take a tour of their operations, meet with the staff, sometimes teach a class on you know, the five hidden flaws of both transit systems or some other seven steps of safety, whatever, for uh, executives there at the transit agency. And then I would interview the CEO. It was a great experience. Did that for about two and a half years, in-person visits to these agencies. And then, of course, for the last six or seven months, uh, since the COVID-19 pandemic, we've been doing these virtually. But I have learned a lot. One of the big changes I've seen over the last few years is that there's been a lot more women headed into the chief executive officer roles, which is great. But the skill set has remained the same. Uh, and it just confirmed to me that the CEOs of these transit agencies have a very tough job. They are half politician and half operations director, right? They're a staff leader, they're a planner, uh, work a lot with their budgets and work with their city governments, their county governments, the national government with associations. Most want to be on the cutting edge, I've learned, but very few want to be on the bleeding edge of technology. They, they want to make sure they're staying ahead of things. And most of them are very focused on their customers and their employees, which is great. The heart is really in the right place uh, for these CEOs who are on our show 
Thank you so much, our listeners, our thousands of listeners from around the world. The show is heard now in 99 countries and uh, has become really one of the top public transportation podcasts in the world. Thank you for this and for sharing it with your friends and your agencies. It is a great way to learn from some of the leaders in our industry about how to improve what we're doing, which is improving the lives of tens of millions of people around the world every day by making all the life's opportunities accessible to them through public transportation. I'm Paul Comfort and delighted to share this journey with you and looking forward to the next three years on the Transit Unplugged podcast. Thanks also to Trapeze Group, who has allowed me to share this adventure with you along the way. Thank you and stay safe out there and hope you enjoy this special best of program as we highlight some of the great interviews we've had over the last three years. What better place to start this best of episode in celebration of Transit Unplugged's third anniversary than right back at the beginning, where everything started. In the very first episode, Paul Comfort was joined by Bill Carpenter, the CEO of Rochester Genesee Regional Transportation Authority. In the particular clip you're about to hear, Bill shares how RTS is partnering with businesses and organizations in the community to better serve the needs of all riders with this innovative cost recovery model. Let's take a listen. Here in New York State, uh, very fortunate that the state government, in particular Governor Cuomo, uh, heavily invests both in operating aid as well as capital dollars. So about 40% of our budget uh, comes from the state of New York. Uh, Each of the participating counties that we serve also have a small contribution on their budget as well as collect a portion of the mortgage recording tax. Uh, And then we have a fair. uh, We're nationally known for our dollar fair. But then the business partnerships that we have, over 70 business partners that um, when someone wants us to come at a particular time or a particular distance or a particular frequency uh, that's not funded by taxpayers, we partner with that business and they don't have to buy the bus, they don't have to hire the operator, they just pay the marginal cost. And that arrangement has worked out very well and our cost recovery is over 35%, which is very high in this industry. Uh, and we're going to the places the community needs us most. So you basically have, wow, 35%, not really fare box, but cost recovery model. That is amazing. That's got to be some kind of a national model. uh, We have more revenue coming in from our business partnerships than we do from our dollar fare. So give me some, because this is something I think that transit systems across the country who are looking for ways to supplement uh, public financial assistance to them might be interested in. Uh, give me some examples of that. Is like colleges or schools or who's, who's paying for these kind of things? Uh, we have uh, colleges and universities. Uh, one of the local colleges, uh, Rochester Institute of Technology, uh, known around the world for their programs. Friday and Saturday night, we're taking their students from their campus, which is a distance from downtown Rochester. And what I like to say is we take their students, allow them to drink in (laughs) what downtown Rochester has to offer. And uh, they get to enjoy themselves. And uh, we provide safe transportation home. And uh, they begin to kind of sleep off uh, everything that they've taken in. (laughs) Uh, But we don't have drunk drivers out on the road. Uh, We've got uh, a nursing home. And I I think this is really the the constraint and benefit of the system. We have a nursing home that's about three miles past where the route would typically end. Uh, They pay us to go there seven and eight in the morning, three o'clock in the afternoon, five o'clock in the afternoon, 11 o'clock at night. So their workers have bus service right to their campus. 
and they pay us from where that normal route, we have regular service throughout the day to an endpoint. They then pay us uh, about $30,000 a year for the marginal cost to get their employees to the front door. As the CEO for the Kansas City Area Transportation Authority, Robbie Mackinnon is the champion of Ride Casey Freedom Program. This is a program that brings mobility to all riders. Let's take a listen to his clip that still rings true today. What we've started is what we call Ride KC Freedom, okay? okay? It's a app, just like a, a, a TNC app or an Uber app or whatever. But what we've decided to do is take our most vulnerable population and our folks with disabilities and build a program from that cornerstone out rather than what most people have done is, hey, let's go try this, and oh, by the way, now we got to reverse engineer to take care of those people. Right, so you start okay. with that first. Right, yeah. so that's what we did. And knowing that normal paratransit service in Kansas City, I'm sure it was that way everywhere else, 24-hour notice, 30-minute windows, right. it was hard. How am I supposed to get to a meeting and an interview with you with those kind of barriers in place? Right. Okay, I can't do it. All I want to do is compete. Just level the playing field for me. So that's what Ride KC Freedom does. So now with this on-demand type of service, you can go onto the app and get that ride. As someone with a disability, you put your code in and your trip is subsidized. Okay, just like it was on, on, on regular paratransit service. It's still less than an Uber trip. But here's the fun part. You without a disability, what I would call a retail customer, now you can use that service too. Okay. But when you take that Ride KC Freedom trip, 6 to 10% of that of your trip comes back to help offset the cost for our folks with disabilities. So if you have a choice between taking a Ride KC Freedom trip here in Kansas City or uh, any other TNC, we would hope you would take freedom because we know that you will know that you're paying it forward. I think the thing we need to get rid of it from a public transit mentality is the us versus them type thing. A streetcar versus a bus, right. uh, bus versus Uber, uh, bike versus whatever. You know what? It's all mobility as a service, okay? And you as a customer, me as a customer, the more options I have mm -hmm. and the more access I have, the more I'm apt to use public transit. For public transit professionals, autonomous vehicles is something to be excited about and something that has been highly anticipated for years. For riders, it can cause a little bit more hesitation. That's why when Paul Comfort sat down with Alexander Schultz, the senior project manager at Amotech, he compared this technological advancement with another piece of technology that it wasn't so long ago we were unsure about as well. Here's what he had to say. So the first phase has been to put it on the red line, line 12, which it's on right now, and uh, it runs on a regular route, and you've had it in service since when? Since uh, March 27, it was, it was the inauguration uh, all run on public roads, and since then we have eight thousand passengers right. using that service. It is free and we have a lot of curious people that like that bus. I'm sure. Uh, in the beginning, some people are scared, but when they learn to know how they, per, this uh, works and they're not scared anymore. Right. So You were telling me a good analogy. Tell me the analogy of how we used to have stewards on, on elevators. Yes, yes, yes. In former years, it was always an, an operator or a person that was pressing the buttons in the in the elevators, and uh, people were scared to go by themselves or alone in an elevator because 
it was a technical thing and they don't know too much about it and nobody actually is not missing the lift boys. Right, so you're saying the analogy is just like in big buildings, we used to have someone sit in the elevator and push the buttons for you. Now we don't think anything about it. The same thing could be said to be true on public buses. Absolutely. That eventually you, you would get used to not having someone there because it would be running by itself. At the highly anticipated 2019 Think Transit Conference hosted by the Trapeze Group, Paul Comfort was joined live on stage by five CEOs. During this session, Lauren Skyver, the CEO of Sunline Transit, said something that transit professionals should really never forget. Let's take a listen. So uh, many of you um, are doing redesigns in your system, and, and we're no different. We're doing a redesign. Um, I said earlier yesterday that we got to stop selling what our riders aren't buying, and we really have to take that seriously. This is not something that can be ignored. We have several areas, Mecca and Thermal and the Salton Sea, where the, the density and the opportunities for transportation are so low that the bus that we run down there, which runs on an hour and a half headway, you could ride your skateboard in 120 degrees and it would be more preferable than riding our bus. And so there's no sense in running what people aren't riding. And we came from a time, many of you are too young for this, that we would run the same lines for 25, maybe 100 years. And no matter what the return was in productivity, it still needed to be there because we had fear of what our customers might say. They want to hear something different from us, folks. They want to hear that we want to reinvent ourselves and provide services that they want to ride. So if you're involved in a redesign in your, in your system, get vocal, start to get active in that redesign. A small tweak isn't what we need to be thinking about. We need to be thinking about what's our next service five and 10 years from now and how do we get there and how do we continue to provide the best ride to our community we possibly can. Next up on this special best of episode is a guest that our listeners always love to hear from, and that's Phil Verster, the CEO and president of Metrolinx. We must admit, picking one clip for him was truly difficult, but this one, we believe, sums up the true meaning of working in public transit. I sometimes get asked, why do you put so much energy into what you do? Yeah. What, what drives you? You know, what... Why, why do you do all of these things? And where does the passion come from? And, and I always give the same answer, is that when you go on any of our concourses of our big stations, such as Union, and you see hundreds and thousands of people streaming off yes. the concourse. So the word I use for that is it's just one thing, it's humbling. Mm. It's humbling to understand what an impact we in our operations make every day on the people that travel, on the local economy, um, and that impact that you make. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing that's more of a motivator than just seeing the success of a transit system that really works to move people from point A to point B every day. That's right, yeah. I think people like you who have worked in this industry for a while, they really are motivated to me by love for others, by service to others. Oh, absolutely. That's what's driving us. We want to, we want to improve people's lives. The next clip features a returning guest to Trans Plug, one who our listeners always tune in to listen to. That's Andy Byford, the Commissioner of Transport for London. In this clip, he discusses what he believes his role is working with government officials. It's interesting, Boris Johnson, he was the, the mayor of London a while ago, so he probably has a special place in his heart for your service. Well, certainly, he. I think he remembers his time as mayor 
very uh, fondly, as you've said, and TfL achieved a lot uh, under his mayoralty. So uh, I think that makes the dynamic more interesting, the fact that he's a former mayor. I'm not getting involved with the politics. I think in my career, I've had quite enough of politics. Yeah. Uh, my job, though, what I would say is my philosophy remains the same as it ever has. I'm a public servant. Public servants give frank and fearless advice. They do not show favor one way or another, but they do not flinch, though, from speaking truth to power. You speak truth to power, you do the right thing, you stick to your principles, you don't let yourself uh, be beholden to a certain philosophy, or I think you're on a bit of a slippery slope. So I have a pretty strong personal set of principles, and I will not sway from those. Absolutely, you serve the masters of the day, uh, but you are there to do their bidding. You are not their mouthpiece. At the 2019 CUDA Annual Conference and Transit Show, Aaron Pinkerton, the president and CEO of BC Transit, made an impassioned point about the changing role of public transit in society. For that reason, it made our best of list from the last three years. Transit is being seen as more than just the solution to putting uh, the A to B. It's the access for social inclusion, it's, it's accessibility, it's people actually not wanting to have a car at all. So it's not just for commuters. What that means for us is that our intercity demand is just going through the roof. Because people want to give up cars, we have regionalization of services, downloading of services. And so how do people make the health connections between communities? How are, how are people getting between bedroom communities as the big cities start to get more expensive? And so that's an interesting challenge because at the BC Transit level, we're not having to work with two municipalities to try to connect services. We could achieve that across the entire province. But the scope of it is, is so big sometimes, it's overwhelming. Uh, a couple of years or two years ago, we implemented Highway 16. For those that don't know, that's the Highway of Tears up in northern BC where almost 50 women and children have gone missing in the last 40 years from just a very isolated, dangerous highway. We put in transit service on that highway. It is 600 kilometers of service that services over 25 First Nation communities. The role of public transit is changing, especially in our area, so much more than just ridership. It's what are you trying to achieve. In this case, it's safety. I'll do whatever it takes to make sure that nobody goes missing on that highway again. And so the the concept of, uh, you know, we need a cost return or we need a certain ridership level or we need cost per rides per hour. What's your cost efficiency? Those are all great. We measure them. We monitor them. But the fact is, is that that's not necessarily the business case for some of the services that we're trying to achieve now. It was amazing to hear how William Harrell, the president and CEO at Hampton Roads Transit, along with his team and government officials, secured $20 million in state funding during a global pandemic. Here's how they made it happen. We have a $100 million operating budget with the four major uh, sources being federal, state, the fare box. And what has been a challenge for us is that 45% of our operating budget comes from our member cities. So Right now, we really have a hodgepodge of bus services that make it very difficult to traverse around the region. It can take you literally two and a half, three hours to get somewhere that you can drive in 20 minutes because of the fact that you have cities funding transit at different levels. 
we don't even have a consistent service day because of what the cities provide in terms of their budget limitation. So we're really pleased to talk about the fact that for the first time in the history of Hampton Roads Transit, the state legislature has designated some dedicated funds so that we can have a regional backbone system. So it doesn't matter whether you're in Newport News, Hampton, or Virginia Beach. The services start at 5 a.m. and they'll go until midnight or 1 a.m. Let's talk about that then. I know you had a big announcement recently with Governor Northam and a lot of your officials there. Tell us about what that was all about. You've been working on this for quite a while to get a dedicated funding source, et cetera, so, and clean vehicles and all that. I mean, you've got a lot happening right now at Hampton Roads Transit. Yes, we really do. Governor Ralph Northam, he's a physician, and uh, he has been a major transit uh, supporter. We're very proud to, to have his support. He signed legislation, and we had a ceremonial signing with key legislators uh, that were our champions here, Senator Louise Lucas, Delegate Askew from Virginia Beach, and we had five of the six mayors that represent the service area in Hampton Roads that were there, which I think speaks to, for the first time, the development of a strategic plan and a regional vision for improving public transit. So we really do, I think, have a wonderful opportunity to change the face of public uh, transit in Hampton Roads. Congratulations to you, William, that in, in, a, in a time when the nation is under a pandemic, you were able to get new funding for public transportation. I mean, what leadership. I hope your board gave you a good pat on the back for that. I mean, that is amazing. Paul Comfort has been passionate about Comfort's Corner since the early days of COVID-19 when he released daily shows with updates on the industry and what was happening in response to the global pandemic. In an early episode, Chris O'Claire, the Mobility Division Director at King County Metro, joined the podcast to discuss the vital role of transit employees in the face of a global pandemic. I think in regards to COVID, I just want to recognize, um, and many of you that are listeners on this, that um, public transportation is part of the solution. You know, we're moving essential workers, um, but we are part of the solution in getting the economy back up and going. Um, We're going to be working to ensure at King County that we build a system that is safe, Um, and that is clean and that is different than what we had pre-pandemic. So as we do that, we want people to know that um, we are open for everyone, but we need to work together with our businesses and our employers and um, with our communities to really make sure we rebuild in a new way. And I want to tell you, Paul, we are committed to rebuilding in a way that truly demonstrates our values um, and and, um, really serving those that really need us. As the CEO of LA Metro, Phil Washington has long been an industry leader. That is why we are excited to hear that President-elect Joe Biden has tapped him to run his transportation transition team, on which team he will oversee a panel of experts tasked with advising Biden on the direction of federal transportation policy and agencies. In the following clip from a recent episode, Phil Washington commends frontline workers for their hard work and dedication during the global pandemic. As we close today, maybe uh, talk about your people and the employees and kind of a message of hope and and for our industry as a whole. If, you know, you you really are now, now with Andy gone in New York, you're the longest ten, tenured, you know, top CEO in our industry. Any thoughts for the industry as a whole? Well, first of all, I think the understanding and recognizing the importance of our frontline folks. 
And that is not just transit's frontline folks, but how about the healthcare folks? Yeah, how about uh, it? That, oh my God, I mean, the nurses and the doctors, and how about the super, the folks that's working in the supermarket? All these, I mean, our economy is built on those frontline folks and transit is moving those frontline folks, which makes us the foundation of the foundation. And so I think this idea, if we did not appreciate our frontline folks now, then my God, we ought to in a big, big way. And I think I, you know, I I point to them and I've said to all of my 11,000 employees that I have two priorities right now in this COVID-19 scenario and calamity that we're going through. One is to make sure the system is safe for our riders. And the second is to make sure that there is as little as possible impact on my workforce. And what does that mean? That means I am going to, my first priority is to preserve jobs in this agency. And I am unapologetic about articulating those two priorities. Hi, I'm Steve Sawyer, General Manager of Trapeze Group Americas. We at Trapeze are celebrating the third anniversary this week of our thought leadership podcast for the public transportation industry called Transit Unplugged. This podcast hosted by our own Paul Comfort has really hit a sweet spot across the world and it's heard now in 99 countries. On the show, Paul mostly interviews public transportation chief executive officers, allowing them to tell their own story about their lives, their careers, their current operations, and what they see for the future of their agency and our industry. Prior to COVID, Paul did all of his interviews in person at agencies. I've been very fortunate to be able to attend a number of these interviews. He'd normally tour the agency, meet with staff, and then interview the CEO. And that means he's visited about 70 different transit systems during the past couple of years. It's probably true that Paul's visited more agencies than any other person in the world. Trapeze is so pleased to be able to continue to bring this high quality programming to our industry and to the public. I wholeheartedly recommend Transit Unplugged based on my own experience and learning from it but also from the countless testimonials I've heard from transit leaders like you. Congratulations, Paul. I'm very fortunate to work as closely as I do with you. I enjoy listening to Transit Unplugged immensely, and I look forward to listening to many more. And to everyone out there, thank you for listening and stay safe. 